What's going on, everybody? Welcome. Welcome one. Welcome all. Friends, countrymen, all of that. Welcome to episode four of Internal Budget. Still the newest Audible Senators podcast, I think. I don't know if uh, any other ones have popped up, but most downloaded, we're working on it. Guys, come on, share with your friends. As always, I'm Brandon Mackey, staff writer for Silver7Sends.com and one of the unfortunate souls covering the Ottawa Senators. And there certainly were some games to cover this week. <laughs> Ottawa played three games this week, finishing 0-2-1. Starting off on Tuesday with a 3-2 shootout loss on home ice to the Anaheim Ducks. Marcus Holberg stepped up as always. Stop 30 of 32 shots. Drake Batherson scored an absolute beauty of a goal. But in the end, still not enough to get Ottawa the win. Another loss outside of regulation for Hoagie. Thursday was a little less competitive. Sens took on the Colorado Avalanche again on home ice. One of the worst games of the year for the Sens. Just awful all around. I think it was... 13 minutes before they had a shot or something like that. Maybe even like 17. It was something crazy. They went almost the whole first period without a shot. Brady Kachuk scored a beauty on a breakaway, but Ottawa was never really in a position to compete in this game. Routed 4-1 to by Colorado. And Saturday, Hockey Day in Canada. Oh, boy. Ottawa was in Winnipeg, as if being in Winnipeg, Manitoba wasn't horrible enough. Patrick Liney scored a hat trick. Craig Anderson was pulled after two periods, and Ottawa fell 5-2. to two. Hey, Mikel Bodker goal, though. That's something. And now that that whole calamity is out of the way, let's jump right into things here for Episode 4. Scott Wheeler, he's a writer for The Athletic, an NHL writer, and over the last couple of weeks, he's been ranking NHL teams based on their prospect pools. So who has the best, most talented, deepest prospect pools all across the NHL? Ottawa came in seventh. They finished seventh overall. Uh, he was said he was high on at least a dozen Senators prospects, but they don't really have any elite star level players. No real franchise altering guys. And I think that's fair. The way he did his ranking was interesting. He essentially tiered it, so it goes high-end guys, guys that project to be high-end guys, guys that project to be middle lineup players, guys that project to be depth players, and the long shots, the guys who may or may not make it at all. If you want to find Scott's rankings, you can find them on The Athletic. The Athletic gets a lot of crap, man, but I signed up for it a little while ago, and honestly, it's money well spent. I really enjoy it. There's some really cool content on there. Regardless, I won't waste all your time regurgitating Scott's rankings. I figured I'd just give you my own, which are probably a lot worse and more likely to piss you off. Let's start right from the top, or the bottom, should we say. So I'm going to rank Ottawa's prospects uh, from 20 on down. We'll go long shots, we'll go depth, we'll go middle of the pack, and then we'll go the upper tier players. Starting at number 20, Mark Kastelik. Number 19, Angus Crookshank. Number 18, Jonathan Davidson. Number 17, forgive my awful pronunciation, Maxence Gwinnett. And number 16, Johnny Tyconic. Castellic, I think, is me having him on here is going to surprise a lot of people. I know a lot of folks within 
the Sens fandom aren't too high on him. I like him. I like his size. I like his goal scoring ability. He is an overager, overager in the WHL right now. I see him as kind of a fourth line guy, maybe with a Zach, Zach Smith ceiling at most. I think he could end up being a good guy to have in that bottom six. Uh, good physical presence, maybe chip in with some secondary scoring. Um, skating would be something he needs to work on, but I could see it happening. Tyconic, I like him a lot. Um, he was kind of a fringe guy for me here, whether or not I was going to put him in the long shots or the depth side. He's in tough on the left side of the ice, though, man. Um, Ottawa has some really, really good players on the left side. When you talk about Thomas Shabbat, you talk about Christian Malanen, you talk about Eric Brandstrom, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to make it in that spot. And even on the right side, they've got guys like JBD coming up, Lassie Thompson, uh, Brandstrom can even play the right side if they need him to, Dylan DeMello. So he's going to have to do something within the next couple of years to really separate him from some of Ottawa's other prospects. But all in all, he, it's going to be tough for him. We left, uh, we left Max Lajoie off this list just because I haven't seen quite enough from him this year. I think he was the seventh defenseman in Belleville the other night. I still think there's a future for him there, possibly, but he needs to pick things up. Moving right along, let's go into the depth players. At number 15, Mad Sogard. Number 14, Jonathan Gruden. Number 13, Philip Gustafson. And number 12, your double dose of Phillips with Philip Schlopik. Look, I like both goalies, but the fact of the matter is the Sens have a lot of depth between the pipes right now. Hogberg, Decord, Gustafson, Sogard. Uh, Mandalese is rumored to be signing soon. So it's going to be challenging for any of these guys to really crack the lineup in the next few years. Uh, and they've both struggled at times this year. Sogard's numbers in Medicine Hat this year aren't great. Uh, Gustafson, I think, was one of the first, I think he might have been the first, was it the first star of the month in January? He was recognized in January for his play in Belleville. So he's finally starting to pick things up, but uh, it hasn't been the best of seasons for either of them. Schlopik almost made middle lineup guy for me. I'm still not sure about him. I just like other guys more. I think there are other guys with more skill, more offensive upside, and especially when he's 22 years old, you're starting to get into that kind of what-you-see-is-what-you-get territory. So moving into the middle of the lineup, uh, these are guys who I see uh, as third liners. So Sorry, the guys closer to the bottom here are my kind of third line guys that I project. Uh, guys higher up are the kind of second liners. That's how I see it going. I probably didn't phrase that well at all, but I trust you're smart enough to figure it out. Um, number 11, Joey Decord. Number 10, Vitaly Abramov. Number 9, Rudy Balsers. Number 8, Shane Pinto. Number 7, Josh Norris. Number 6, Alex Formanton. And number 5, Logan Brown. Norris and Formanton was kind of a toss-up for me. I love them both, but I gave the edge to Formanton because I think his skating is a little further along. Norris is having an amazing season. We'll get to him a little later. Brown has all the makings of a first liner. His skill is unbelievable. His ability to pass the puck is just, it's upper echelon for sure. He's got really good hockey sense in the offensive zone, but I need to see more before I give him that kind of surefire elite prospect ranking. Uh, we're going to get to him again a little later. But that's where I see those guys right now. And let's jump into our top four here. These are the guys I see as upper bona fide players. 
Um, guys who are going to be second line or second pairing at worst for the Ottawa Senators. Guys who I expect to be full-time NHLers very, very soon. Number four, Lassie Thompson. 13 points in 31 games playing in the men's league in Finland this year. He addresses a huge need on the right side. The Senators are paper thin on that side of the blue line. I love his shot. He's got an absolute cannon. I think he's a very steady player, and he's going to be really nice for the Sens. Number three, another right-handed defenseman, Jacob Bernard Docker. Again, very steady. Uh, he, I, he plays with a bit of a physical side, but some really nice offensive touch as well. You're kind of prototypical two-way defenseman, especially in today's game. I really liked what I saw from JBD at the World Juniors. I think Ottawa got a great pick here, probably got a steal here. Number two, Eric Brandstrom. He's posting Carlson-esque numbers in Belleville right now. Um, obviously, the number I'm referring to the numbers Carlson did in Belleville or Binghamton as it was at the time. His skating is elite. Uh, his puck handling is just absurd, and he's got a rocket, a cannon of a shot. I had to use two metaphors there just to describe how good that shot is. Uh, he's also starting to get some more confidence, it looks like, in Belleville. He's got two goals in his last two games. Uh, he's even starting to celebrate a little more. He's getting a little bit of swagger to him. Shout out to Matt Bosty, as he said. But so I, I really believe that Brandstrom is going to be is he's going to push Shabbat for that top pairing. Uh, if they don't want to play them on the same pairing, then that's going to be a really interesting battle on the left side. And number one, as it stands right now, Drake Batherson. He is a vastly different player than we saw at the beginning of the year and even than we saw last year. He has the confidence to use his offensive skill now. And he's not even he's not afraid to use his size. He's definitely grown. He's put on some muscle and he's throwing his body into corners, trying to knock guys on their ass, trying everything he can to get pucks off people in the, in the offensive zone. I love it. He's playing some great hockey. And right now, to me, he's head and shoulders above everyone else in terms of the Senators prospect pool. Again, these are all guys I see with high-end skill, high hockey IQ, and they're going to be impact players going forward. So I know that was probably a little hard to keep track of. I'm trying to burn through it as quick as I can. Don't want this to be a two-hour podcast. But I want to hear what you guys think. So make sure to hit me up on Twitter at BrandonMackey6 or at Internal Budget. And let me know what you think. What are your prospect rankings? Where do you think I'm wrong? Where do you think I'm right? Where do you want to punch me in the neck? Moving right along, let's get into one of the hot button topics in Ottawa right now. And that is free agency. The Senators have a lot of guys coming up for new contracts at the end of this year. Some will be here. Some will not. Um, one of the guys who I 100% think, and I don't think this is an unpopular opinion at all, should be here. Uh, he's a UFA at the end of this year, and that is Dylan DeMello. He is an absolute must sign to me. There is no way that the Ottawa Senators can afford to let him go. Uh, I, I talked before about how the Sens have this huge need on the right side, and that's 100% true. Um but just speaking on DeMello for a second, he's got a 52.81 Corsi percentage this season. It's the highest on the team of anyone who's played more than 18 games. Uh, he's got a plus 5 rating. Only Pajot is higher. And, and that says a lot. The Sens are 29th in goals against. They give up an average of 3.33 goals per game. To have a positive plus-minus rating, I know it's kind of a broken stat. But to be able to have that kind of differential is pretty nuts on a team like this. Especially when you consider he only has 10 points in five games. It's not like his plus minus is so high because he's lighting up the score sheet. There is no one more consistent 
no one more steady than Dylan DeMello. Even going back to last year, he's played with everyone from Shabbat to Borowiecki, and he still produces the same results. He's never really kind of faltered when he's paired with any one guy. In fact, he elevates the guys he played with. Shabbat had an amazing season last year, and he played the most of it with DeMello. Um, and that's because he's a steady influence. Even borowiecki has been producing this year, and he's played a lot of minutes with DeMello too. And the reason for that is he's so defensively sound that he allows them to cut loose. Mello rarely does anything exceptional, anything spectacular, anything flashy. But he never makes mistakes. He always backchecks hard. He's always knocking pucks loose. He's always taking away chances in the offensive zone, defensive zone, Ottawa's defensive zone. That kind of guy is invaluable. Like, I'm talking, like, think Mark Mathot. Everybody, this wasn't too long ago, so everybody remembers Mark Mathot and the way he played in Ottawa. Obviously, DeMello's a different kind of player. He has a little more offensive touch than Mathot. Mathot was bigger, played a more physical game, more shot blocking. But think of the influence that Mathot had on Carlson. Think of the way he steadied his game. Mathot was always hanging back, allowing Carlson to rush the puck up the ice and make plays. He allowed Carlson to kind of not forget about defense, but focus a little more on the offensive side. And that's huge, and that's something that will be invaluable to Thomas Shabbat going forward because he's a better offensive player than he is a defensive player. Uh, He's going to be a top-pairing guy for Ottawa, no question. But allowing him to cut loose and score some goals and get some assists, that's really going to help Ottawa, obviously, especially on the score sheet for a team that doesn't score a lot of goals. So think about all that, and like I said, DeMello's a right-handed defenseman, and the Sens don't have many. Zaitsev isn't awful. I know I'm going to get skewered for that, but he really isn't. I'd take him over Cody Cece in a heartbeat. The only thing that makes it kind of is his contract. But even then, he's been sound the last couple games. He hasn't made any glaring mistakes. He's covering his guys in front of the net. He's not making egregious turnovers. I'm okay with Zaitsev for the next couple years at least. Like, it's not the end of the world. But even on further than that, on the right side, they have Lassie Thompson and JBD, like I mentioned before, who are great prospects and I think are going to be really good NHL players. But they're still not sure things yet. And then you have lower-tier guys like Christian Yarosh, who I think if they're NHL players, they're going to end up in that kind of bottom-pairing role. So the Senators should 100% signed Dylan DeMello for as long as they can. The longer they can get him at the cheaper the price tag, the better, especially before the rest of the league wakes up. Because I know not everybody, not many people pay much attention to Ottawa. I mean, people are just discovering that Cody Cece is bad now, and it's because he's playing in Toronto when Ottawa fans have been screaming this for the last, what, five years? So before the rest of the league wakes up, and someone offers DeMello a contract that he can't refuse, Ottawa should get him and get him long-term. Because the better Ottawa gets, the more people are going to watch them, and the more they're going to see how good Dylan DeMello is. So even if you sign DeMello for, what, two, three years, Ottawa's just starting to become competitive in that time, boom, he goes to free agency, he's gone because somebody overpaid for him. Lock him up now while you can, And he's going to prove invaluable for this team going forward, especially as they're kind of learning to be competitive and hoping to make a playoff run at some point. 
That'll be huge for this young Ottawa Senators team. Speaking of young Ottawa Senators, we're going to get right back to it. We're going to get to another look at Belleville, and we're going to talk about Logan Brown. There was a bit of an interesting storyline this weekend. Brown left Friday's game against the Marlies in the second period. He didn't return. There was some speculation if he was going to get suspended earlier in the week, but that's neither here nor there. Frankly, he should have been suspended. I digress. Um, Before Saturday's game against Laval, Troy Mann announced that Brown had been battling a hand injury for, quote, a few weeks, end quote. And he pulled himself in the Marlies game when he felt like he could no longer contribute. So that means Brown has been dealing with a bad hand for, if they're saying a few weeks, I'm willing to bet it's been around a month at least that Brown has had this hand issue. And Troy Mann said he'd been having a harder harder and harder time handling the puck, so passing, shooting, all that. But Logan Brown was on a 10-game point streak going into this contest against the Marlies. 10 games. So he's had this injury that has been bugging him for this period of time and he's still producing at this level. That's nuts. I know it's the AHL. I know it's not the NHL. But to have that kind of production when you're hurt, and especially a hand, which affects everything you do in hockey, that's insane for Logan Brown. And what's most and more impressive than that to me is the fact that he's had the willingness to play through it this whole time. I can only imagine what kind of agony your hand's in when it's gripping your stick, you're probably getting slashed on it, getting in scrums, pushing, punching with it, and then you got to pass, you got to shoot, you got to stick handle. That's a different level of pain, man. I broke my hand in my second year playing football at U of T, and I practiced it with it for a month, and oh my God, I was just miserable. I was miserable. I was just in pain all the time, just in this constant ache and sharp pain in my hand. It was awful. So for a guy who, like Logan Brown, who people have had concerns about his character, and myself included, I've I've been guilty of it. I've mentioned that, you know, maybe it's an attitude problem with this guy. This is a really good thing to hear. It's really nice to hear that He's so committed to his team that he's willing to put his body on the line because that's leadership. I know a lot of people don't like the notion of athletes playing through injuries for the boys or whatever. But the fact that a guy like this is willing to do it, that bodes well for him. It bodes well for his character and it bodes well for his future. It shows a positive development on and off the ice. Obviously on because he's putting up so many points and off because he seems like he's maturing and he wants to help his team win. So Logan Brown, kudos to you, my man. Um, Belleville obviously has a few days off, so use those to rest up, and hopefully you're back soon. So I don't know what to kind of call this segment now. Uh, Last week, I answered some of your questions and comments, uh, just things you guys wanted me to address. I really like doing it. Uh, I don't know if I wanted to call it Mackie's Mailbag or something like that. Hey, that's actually not bad. That's actually not bad. But yeah, if you guys have any uh, any suggestions, let me know. So we'll get right into this. Um, 
Again, you can at me on Twitter at Brandon Mackey six or at internal budget. Also feel free to send me emails. Um, it's internal budget pod pod at gmail.com. So this one's from the Bernard Docker bro. I love that name at Tate underscore Frazier. Where do you stand on the Josh Norris versus Logan Brown debate? Also, which draft prospects have you been picturing as future senators? Hmm. This is a tough one. Um, I really like them both. I really do. The problem for me is they are different kinds of players. Logan Brown is a bigger dude. He's bigger than Norris. If I see him as contributing as a center in the NHL, it's kind of of that Evgeny Malkin vein um, where he uses his physicality every now and then. He just uses his size to hold guys off the puck, um, uncork some big shots, and make some nice passes through the middle of the ice. As far as Norris goes, I think he's a speedier guy, a more skilled forward, uh, a guy that's going to pull away from more breakaways than Brown is. I don't want to put one above the other just because it's way too early. I mean, Norris is in his rookie season in Belleville, and Brown's had some ups and downs, some injuries and all that. I I think they could both very well end up being uh, key contributors for the Senators. I think Norris for sure will, and the more I watch Brown in Belleville, the more I think he will be too. This one's from Bears, Mariners, and Sharks fan. Buddy, you got to shorten that up. Like, you're going to put your... What else are you going to put in there? <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, and the ad is at Melnick must go. No comments. Oh, I didn't answer the other one. Um, but they kind of play into each other here. Uh, Lafreniere or Byfield? I know I was kind of captain. If you follow me on Twitter, I was captain of the take Byfield over Lafreniere boat for a little bit. I think the Senators are, in terms of position of need, they need a center more than they need a winger. But you can't pass on Lafreniere. Um, I think they're going to be comparable, him and Byfield, in, in terms of skill and in terms of impact at the NHL level. But that extra year of Lafren- development that Lafreniere has is huge. Byfield's going to look like the Fre- Lafreniere does next year. And he already looks amazing. But Lafreniere is a guy who could play in the NHL now if you put him there. So to me, you got to go Lafreniere if you get number one. I love Byfield, though. If Ottawa picks number two and gets him that I'm still going to be doing cartwheels. So uh, in terms of other prospects that I like uh, Stutzel, Drysdale, I like Marco Rossi, Cole Perfetti. I I like the standard guys that have been ranked in the top 12. You can't really go wrong with any of those players. This one's from Ross, my buddy at sheer underscore rossiness was wade redden ever actually good looking or did he just have intense eyebrows speaking as someone who actually met wade redden when i was very young even though he kind of was brisk with me <laughs> i think it's because i interrupted his conversation that's a good looking dude that's a pretty man i'll give it to him um the eyebrows definitely are a factor <laughs> i could definitely see why someone would think that but uh, I'll give it to Wade. He was nice to me. He gave me his autograph. I'll give it to him. From Jack Richardson at Jack Richardson. Uh, no A in Richardson there. Um, good dude. You should check out his writing. Um, he got some good stuff over at Sendshot. Uh, you can find him on Twitter. He got some good stuff. 
I think you've already touched on it, but Duclair for sure. In the last two or three games, it's been obvious how frustrated he is. His body language is not good. He didn't look good against Colorado for sure. He looked—you could—he definitely looked like a guy who was frustrated. I'm not so worried about Duclair. I wrote about this in Silver Seven for our weekly question, asking people if they were worried about Duclair. It was kind of split between yes and not sure. I'm not panicking yet. I'm a little concerned, obviously, anytime you kind of have a guy who, you know, was on was an all-star on this absolutely torrid pace, and then he just completely cools off. I think it's been 17 games without a goal now. Not good. Not good. Some definite cause for concern there. But by the same token... We know who Anthony Duclair is. He's proven that he can play. I think a lot of it comes down to supporting cast too, right? Once he gets some better teammates, uh, some more talented guys around him, guys that can set him up for some shots and some good opportunities, he's going to score more. I think he'll score 40 eventually, to tell you the truth. So I'm not crazy worried about Duclair. Uh, He's just got to keep focused, keep his head down, and it's going to come. And once he scores again, I believe the floodgates will open for sure. Alex, at Sad Senators Fan, aren't we all? What do you think of Mad Sogard and his potential for the NHL? And please rate Scotty Sab's impact and hustle on the team since his return. Obviously, Scott Sabarin. I like Sogard. Um, I'm not going to claim to be an expert on him. I don't know enough about him. I haven't seen enough of him. I think he's got the good size to be a pro goalie. He might have to catch up to his body a little bit. So in terms of Sogard, I think he's got some huge potential for the NHL down the line. It might take a few years. He might be 24, 25 by the time he breaks into the league. But I definitely think Sogard is a guy you look at who could be the future of the Senators in net. Goalies are tough to rate, man. They develop differently. They develop at slower paces a lot of the time. So I don't know, but if I had to lean towards yes or no, I would definitely lean towards yes, even though his numbers aren't great in the W this year. And in terms of Sabarin, I'm not on the Scott Sabarin hate bandwagon. In a year like this, I'm totally fine with giving that guy a contract and giving him some games. He's at his best when he's running around like a chicken with his head cut off, running guys in corners, throwing hits, and if somebody's got a answer the bell he's gonna fight he looked like he was a little more hesitant uh, in his first couple games probably getting his legs back underneath him but in his last three appearances I haven't hated what I've seen from him as long as he's not a liability out there trying to do too much as long as he knows his role and stays in his lane then then Sabrin's a fine guy to have in the lineup to me and again from Tate Fraser another one double dose why is nobody talking about Yakov Novak, seventh-round pick, who is going to be his team's Hobie Baker nominee? Um, obviously, Novak playing for Bentley University. I think there's a lot of factors at play here. Um, I don't know an insane amount about Novak. I like him from what I've seen. I think, one, he plays kind of out of sight for everybody to pay attention to. Two, he's a seventh-round pick. So, you know, he's not as highly touted as any of the other guys, guys that have gone in the first couple of rounds like Bernard Docker and Lassie Thompson. That said, um, in terms of NHL potential, I'd have to see him in Belleville. These college guys, again, they can be tricky. 
you know, uh, Verano looked really good last year. I'd like to see him get another look eventually. Novak, like I said, I think that's why nobody's talking about him, just because he's kind of out of sight, out of mind right now. But eventually he's going to get looks in Belleville or wherever, and I'll be able to form more of an opinion on him, and I think people will start talking about him if he can replicate those numbers. He's got 29 points in 30 games this year. Um, That's obviously really good. He's pretty much doubled his point totals from last year. So we'll see what happens, but I definitely think that's why he's not one of the more high, more talked about prospects in the system. Thank you guys. I really appreciate your submissions. Um, hit me every week. Uh, even if you, even if I don't post about it, um, asking for your, uh, submissions, feel free to DM me, send me an email and we'll, we'll get you right. I love doing this. I love answering your questions. You guys make me think it's good. All right. So let's wrap things up this week with our Belleville Beast of the Week. And again, it's going to be another Belleville player. How could it not? Those kids are on fire. They're doing absolutely incredible. This guy, what can you say about him? We've talked about him a few times already today. He has five points in his last three games, 50 on the season in 47 games. As a rookie, who else could it be? For the second time, Josh Norris. Josh Norris is our Belleville Beast of the Week. He is playing absolutely incredible. Um, I I had high expectations of him just because I saw the skill he had when he was playing at Michigan, but I don't think there was anybody that expected this kind of season from Norris in his first year. First year, 50 points in 47 games. That's just absurd. Here's to hoping he can keep it up. I'd really like to see him get a look in Ottawa at some point just to kind of see what he's made of, and then that Belleville playoff run is going to be exciting, boy. Brandstrom, Wallanen, Batherson, Norris, Brown. Good God. How is that team not going to win the Calder? Anyway, before I get ahead of myself, thank you guys so much for listening to episode four of Internal Budget. Whatever platform you're on, as usual, be sure to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. You got friends, you like them, send them my podcast. That is if you like me. You do, right? Right? Thank, again, thank you for listening. Uh, I love doing this. If you have any suggestions, if there's anybody you want me to talk to as a guest, let me know on Twitter at Brandon Mackey six or at internal budget pod. Again, the email is internal or sorry. Twitter is internal budget. Email is at internal budget pod at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, this is going to be us signing off for episode four. Check out more of my writing at silver seven And I will see you guys next week. Hopefully we get at least one win this week. Unless you're team tank. Take care guys.